Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Jets fans, want $50 off your next round of drinks? Try Tap RM. They deliver the drinks right to your door so you can skip the lines and trips to the liquor store. Discover new and exclusive drinks or shop for your favorites. Don't worry, they've got all the options for you. Order your first round at taprm.com and get $50 off your first order using promo code JETS50. $50 off $100 of beer, not a bad deal. I would highly recommend it. I've done it. Connor's done it. Joe's got it. So, Make sure you go to taprm.com, use promo code JETS50, skip the lines, and get $50 off your first $100 worth of beer. $100 in beer for $50, can't beat that. Now let's get into the pod. Setting up, looking downfield, he's going to heave a bomb for Corey Davis at the goal line, into the end zone, he's got it! That's a Jet touchdown! Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today. Anyone that's familiar with my podcast, I'm sure, listens to Connor's as well. Connor Hughes, the Athletic Jets Beat, Can't Wait podcast. Um, and obviously, everyone probably follows Connor on Twitter. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Obviously, following a... Uh, a bit of a disappointing Jets loss on uh, Sunday. You know, obviously the Jets, you know, were pretty heavy underdogs, even with uh, Gardner Minshew in there. But um, it's still, you know, another loss and another home loss with, uh, you know, by double digits. What were your kind of initial takeaways, um, you know, from Sunday's game? Did it kind of go as you expected it or did it, you know, the game catch you off guard, um, you know, in any way? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it caught me off guard uh, in any way. You know, this Jets team is obviously it's, it's rebuilding. It's still in its infancy stages of, of trying to develop some level of uh, really good football. I mean, they're they're clearly not there yet. I think they were closer than what they look like now before all the injuries kind of set in and things like that. But, uh, you know, there, there was the good and there was the bad to take away. You know, I, th- I thought that Zach Wilson took a legitimate step forward. I thought he looked a lot better. Robert Sala said after the game, this was. Uh, the best he's seen his footwork, or he called his footwork amazing, said this was the best that he's looked within the structure of the offense. And I think that was one of the things that, that I, I thought so as well. In fact, the, the two most impressive things that I saw or the, or the two things that, that made me most encouraged coming out of that game were actually on that first touchdown drive where uh, he had Tevin Coleman going out on a little flat route to the left. And you could see as Zach turn and pivoted to throw to him. 
he took something off the ball. You know, if that was last week, if that was pre-injury, he's throwing a 99-mile-per-hour fastball right at Tevin Coleman, and it may or may not be caught because it's, you know, one of those little rockets, little rockets like Salah likes to say. Instead, he realized that's a running back. He's wide open. I just have to get the ball to him. And that's exactly what he did. Took something off it. Tevin Coleman caught it, picked up four or five yards, went on to the next down. The touchdown to Elijah Moore, same thing. He's open in the back of the end zone. He doesn't need the 100-mile-per-hour fastball, so he threw the changeup in there, got it, got it to him. Easy catch, easy touchdown. So that, the, the, the taking what the defense gave him, not really forcing anything until that throw that kind of sailed on the crowder that was picked off in the fourth quarter. Uh, this was about as good of a game as I think Zach has played all year. Uh, obviously, the Titan game had more fireworks and explosions and excitement, but just from a playing quarterback perspective, I thought that was the best he looked. And now, obviously, he's got to build on it against the Saints. And then from the defensive perspective, I mean, it's it's – what, what do you what do you want to make of it? You know, yeah, they played poorly. Yeah, they looked bad. Yeah, this was not a game uh, that in any way, shape, or form was building on a decent performance against the Dolphins and a decent performance against the Texans. But, you know, as I kind of said in my podcast and as I've written before and said to anyone who asked, the way that the Jets are going to fix this defense, the way that this Jets defense is going to start playing good football, it's not coming this week. It's not coming next week. It's nothing that the coaching staff or players on this roster can do because the fix for this team is a March and May fix in free agency in the draft. It's not going to happen in this season. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought while the Titans game obviously was really exciting from like a deep, you know, there's the three, you know, kind of flash throws that obviously everyone kind of goes yeah. bad to. I thought there was a couple of throws Zach had. He had one like probably 20 yard comeback to Elijah Moore. He had the other one that was incomplete. Then he had another one late in the game. You know, Elijah got his helmet knocked off. He got all fired up. Those throws are stuff that, especially the ones over the middle of the field, it's not even something in college he was great at. And if he can become like pretty good at throw those throws, I'm much more confident in him going forward in terms of just like, I think, I mean, you were at every single practice. I was at a ton of practices over the summer. Like that's not the, the, the flash stuff is not at all what I'm worried about. And like, even the short game, like I think he'll figure that part out. It's that 10 to 20 yard middle of the field, having confidence. Obviously that's where the interception comes from. It felt like he, probably could have taken the check down there. And that's, an, again, you know, you never go broke trying to, you know, with the dollar, whatever the saying is. But, um, yeah, I know the defensive stuff is frustrating because it's like, oh, fire Ulbrich because he went covering one on third and 19. Yes, was that call spectacular and putting Jason Pinnock in situations the last three weeks that um, I'm not sure he's ready for or will ever be ready for, for that matter. But, yeah. like, they're not changing staffs again. And No, if it, honestly, man, it's stupid. not interrupt, but, like, <laughs> If it's not Jason Pinnock, who are you going to put out there? Like, they don't have bodies. Like, Brandon <laughs> Eccles, sorry, Isaiah Dunn. I mean, Isaiah Dunn basically cost them the Miami Dolphins game. So, they don't they don't have the players to be like, all right, you're right. I, I'm completely – like, Pinnock probably should not be playing right now. But but who do you have that's going to be the alternative? There There isn't one. Like I said, I mean, they, this is – the Jets the last couple of years, they, they made – they made their choice. They said in 2020 and 2021, we are going to infuse our offense with talent, which was the right decision. This offense was barren on basically every level, offensive line, uh, receiver, tight end, running back, quarterback. I mean, it was bad. And over the last two years, you've seen Joe Douglas and the Jets invest resources into making the offense better, which is why when you look at this team now, the Jets can withstand injuries to Keelan Cole and still be okay at receiver. They can withstand injuries to Corey Davis, still be okay at receiver. They can miss Elijah Moore, be fine. They can lose Mike Carter, be fine at running back. They can lose Makai Becton, be fine on the offensive line because they put resources into the offense. When you put resources into the offense, that means you are not putting resources into the defense. And it's now going to have to be the flip this coming off season. You like where the offense isn't done by any stretch of the imagination. Still need an X, 
still need a tight end, could still probably address the offensive line, maybe get a uh, running back to complement Mike Carter. But you're going to see the shift from 70-30 offense, then I'll probably go 70-30 defense. Yeah, it's, this defense is uh, – and also I think if you really look at the injury report, and it's, it's hard because a lot of times like I don't like using the injury excuse um, just because I think it's really hard in the NFL – to like have any sympathy. No one, no one feels bad for you. Everyone's trying to get paid also, but mm -hmm. the jets defense going into the year, where it's like, at least the defensive line is going to be awesome and they'll get really good play out of Marcus may and Marcus Joyner and Ashton Davis will be a good safety tandem. And like, and CJ Mosley and then everything else kind of figure itself out. Obviously it's been great. Bryce Hall has been really, really good. And they got some contributions from Michael Carter and Eccles and those guys, but no loss in the whole year. Bryce Huff not playing the last uh, four or five yeah, weeks. Huge. It's been it's been killing them on, especially on those long third downs where it's third and 10, third and 11, like they're just not getting pressure. Um, and I know, uh, you know, TOJ's own Joe Caprosa is a little, you know, he's like, I don't want to hear about the defensive line anymore. And it's hard to blame people, you know, for feeling that way. It's, you know, the Eagles offensive line is really good. And I'm not trying to take anything away in the Saints offensive line, depending on who plays this week, you know, in terms of ram check and guys like that. But like, you still have to be able to get effective pressure. There's too many guys on this defensive line that have times where they just, there are games where they look really good and other games where like, I had no idea that John Franklin Myers and Quinn Williams played on Sunday. And that, that can't, yeah. that's, that's the stuff that's frustrating. I think from a, from a talent perspective, because as much as they are lacking in talent, like the places where they do have talent and to not play well is, is tough. Yeah. And it's, I think the, the big thing, like you mentioned injuries, not being an excuse and, and you're right. I mean, every single team, in the NFL deals with injuries. I mean, there's, there's every single one of them. The Saints have been without, you know, their, their starting quarterback, Jameis Winston, since what, like week four, Alvin Kamara has been out a chunk of time. They were out in our, uh, Ingram as well. Every team deals with injuries and every team has to withstand them. The problem with the Jets, and this is where the injury, I, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but where the injury really highlights some of this team's deficiencies is that there's a, a legitimate serious depth problem on this roster, you know, and, and the reason why there's a depth problem on the roster is because of the years and years and years of draft negligence from 2015 through 2019. And then if we're being completely honest with ourselves, the, the lack of production that the Jets are getting from their 2020 class as well. So, you know, it, it's one thing when you have a player go down and you have somebody that you've drafted in the third or fourth round within the last two years. So, you know what? Yeah. He's not as good as the starter, but he's someone who's been in the system. He's someone you've been developing who can now step in and there's a drop off, but there's not a stark drop off because of the problems the jets have had with talent acquisition over the last decade or so. When they lose somebody like Brandon Eccles, there isn't a real capable, able-bodied guy who has been developed and somebody you trust, who's going to fill right in and fill that void. When they lose Carl Lawson, you've got Bryce Huff, right? But then when you lose Bryce Huff, they don't have somebody that's been in the system developing or someone that they feel confident in because they haven't had a chance to acquire those players. So, you know, if the Jets were were a 100% healthy team, if they they somehow managed to, to make a deal with the devil and no one ever got hurt this entire season, I think you've got a team that quarterback play pending could probably have won seven games this year but then when you take that team and suddenly you start littering them with injuries especially on the defensive side of the ball and Joyner's gone and Lawson's gone and Harse and uh, uh, Huff is gone I'm sorry and May is gone and Sherwood's gone and Hams is gone I mean you just don't have the players to fill in for those guys because those players haven't been acquired yet which is part of this being a rebuild this isn't just about fixing the starting roster, right? Because the Jets starters were abysmal the last couple of years as well. 
this is about not only finding your starters, but also finding your depth. And, and that, you know, it, look, it's, it's, it's shitty to hear, but it's the truth. I mean, that just takes time. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I tweeted out earlier and I was kind of being facetious with it, but like, there's a very real chance the Jets three starting receivers, if Keelan Cole is, you know, good to go or whatever, if he's not good to go in terms of like conditioning and stuff is literally like their A team receivers from last year um, of like yeah. Barry, Barrios, Mims and, and, uh, and Crowder. And it's like looking at that, like the Jets have upgraded in a lot of spots, but as you mentioned, I like, I always kind of hark back to this, that, that 2010, 2009 to 2010 Jets team, even though eight in 2011 for lack of, you know, just for that four year stretch, you lose guys like Chris Jenkins or Damian Woody, who are, you know, superstar level talents. The Jets still made it to the title game two years in a row, losing like there some raw, like pieces that are Pro Bowl level guys. And that's why it's really frustrating when you lose, you know, borderline starter level guys and then you're going to practice. You know, the Elijah Riley story is really nice and it's not a, you know, bash Elijah Riley thing. It's like the Jets are counting on him for 85 snaps a game right now. And he was a yep. practice squad guy two weeks ago in a different organization. So, um, I want to hit on one guy real quick before we get kind of more, you know, forward thinking in terms of the Saints game. Ashton Davis is a guy who I feel like has gotten a lot better the last yeah. four or five weeks, but there's still such like a differing opinion of people inside and outside the building, uh, fans, where are you kind of stand on Ashton? Because I think he's kind of crucial. Him and Mims are those guys that like can swing this 2020 draft from being not too bad or like, shit, we might've only gotten like a starter and a half, two starters, you know, pending Beckton. Yeah, Ashton's getting better. I mean, so the Jets, you have to remember with him, he was always going to be a developmental project. Like, he didn't play that much in college. He wasn't like this polished safety. He was an athletic freak with a ton of physical talent who needed to be developed. And when the Jets drafted him, they had Jamal Adams and they had Marcus May. And the original game plan was to sit Ashton Davis, maybe use him in some free safety packages, but they were going to sit Ashton Davis behind Jamal Adams, Marcus May. They were going to let him develop. Then they were going to let Marcus May walk in free agency, and Ashton Davis was going to take over as the free safety next to next to Jamal Adams. The Jamal Adams trade then happens. Jamal Adams throws his temper tantrum, hissy fit, and suddenly he's out of here, and the Jets now need to start Ashton Davis. And suddenly he's a developmental project forced into the starting lineup. And then the injury set in. He has the season-ending injury. That injury sidelined him all of training camp. So he didn't have OTA's mini camp during his rookie year because of COVID. Then he didn't have OTA's mini camp training camp his second year because he was injured. So he's kind of basically a developmental project that is still a developmental project rookie this year. So you're seeing him develop and come along in real time. That's why you see him look better tomorrow than he looked today and the next day better than tomorrow. You know, he's, he's a, he's a guy that's coming along and if they're able to grab a hold of that talent and they're able to really teach him and develop him and make him a safety he has more talent than he has more than enough talent to be not only a good starter, but a very, very good starter in the NFL. It's just a matter of him developing. And, you know, you have players in the NFL and certainly players in this roster who have, you know, skill sets like that, where it's like, oh, they just need to develop. They just need to develop. A lot of those guys sometimes don't necessarily have the want where, you know, the physical talent's there, but the want isn't. That's not the case with Ashton Davis. He wants it. He has the work ethic. He has the desire. I think he's somebody who's going to benefit greatly from playing as much as he is this year and benefit even more if he's able to stay healthy and have a full off season this year. I mean, I do genuinely believe that the Jets might have a starter there in Ashton Davis. They just now need to pair him with somebody. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, that that safety position is one that has a lot of like name recognition in a May and Joyner and guys, but they're obviously are, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen in terms of coming back from injuries, who they sign, who they draft. One of the guys was kind of, um, you know, 
curious on and not necessarily to go on a, an Adenzo Mims rant, and this has nothing to do with like a, yeah. a long segment, but is there any like real expectation for the next five games? Because I don't know. I, my issue with Mims has been personally from watching him now, both in person and obviously on tape is like, you see these flashes of like this physical freak, obviously again, same kind of situation. And I think Denzel Mims wants to be good. Like I've never heard anyone that I've talked to be like, Denzel doesn't get it or he's not trying, you know, he doesn't have the effort. It's just like the little things of like getting off press or like, you know, intensifying his route running or like, you know, diversifying where he plays in formations. And I know you've talked about this a lot of just like, he's a very linear player. Is there any expectation from the Jets or like from you specifically over the next five games? Because I feel like with Corey Davis out, like not that it's now or never, he's 22 years old, but like it is kind of now or never with a new regime that has nothing to do with Adam Gase and and Joe Douglas is going to have some pressure to, you know, be good here pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no, like, personality red flags or anything like that or no crazy work ethic. I mean, I don't think Denzel, you know, if you go to practice and you watch, like, the individual receivers, right? Like, you just watch them go through, like, you know, they're running through the ladder drill and all that stuff. You watch guys like – That ladder clip, that ladder clip was bad, dude. That ladder clip was not pretty. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's like you see the guys that are, like, you know, they go 100 miles per hour nonstop, right? Like, Braxton Barrios is treating that ladder drill – like it is fourth and goal at the five yard line, and he knows he's getting the ball and he's got to get open in the Super Bowl. I mean, and you see it like guys like, and then you have kind of Denzel, who is like, this is a Wednesday practice in week seven, and he's kind of lackadaisical going through it, you know. So, I, look, if you're if you're a guy that is trying to fight for playing time, a guy trying to get on the field, and guy trying to to earn some more reps, I probably would be going a little bit harder in that drill than what Denzel is, but. I do think that it's probably a little bit more of, of him not being a great scheme fit within this offense. You know, again, this is the problem with when you don't marry a general manager and head coach from the very beginning, because you don't have philosophies that align. So Joe Douglas was originally working with Adam Gase, right? And Adam Gase's offense wanted guys on the outside who were big, could run straight, stretch the field. He wanted linear players. That's why, you know, they, they liked Robbie Anderson. But then when they let Robbie Anderson go, they went out there and they got Prashad Perryman. You know, Prashad Perryman's not a route runner. He's not a great route technician, but he's fast and he can stretch the field. And that's what he wanted. Denzel Mims, he's not a great route runner, but he's fast. He can stretch the field. He's big, he's physical, and he can 50-50 balls. So he fit with what Adam Gase wanted. Adam Gase is fired. Michael LaFleur is now this team's offensive coordinator, and he wants the route runners. He wants the yak. He wants the Elijah Moore type players. That's not Denzel Mims. So Denzel Mims had to earn that playing time, and he just hasn't done it yet. And Look, I mean, the Jets like Keelan Cole, Keelan Cole more than they like Denzel Mims. They like Corey Davis more than they like Mims. They like Elijah Moore more than they like Mims. So it's about him fighting and getting that playing time. Now, obviously, he's been buried on the depth chart, hasn't necessarily done anything to pass anybody on that depth chart. But that's now suddenly starting to change because while Keelan Cole is coming back, Corey Davis is done for the year with that core muscle surgery. Elijah Moore has now popped up with a quad injury, did not practice today. We'll see if he's able to practice Thursday, but his status for Sunday might be in doubt. So now you got your two outside receivers who are both down. It is now or never for Denzel Mims to come in and show that he's worthy of being a part of this team, show that he's worthy of being kept around on this team because, look, the Jets got a lot of draft picks next year. If Denzel Mims is not a scheme fit, he's going to lose his scholarship. The Jets will have no problem flipping him on draft day for a fifth round pick or conditional sixth round pick or something like that, just to get something back for him to then go find a player that's going to work a little bit more. So 
uh, in my opinion, it is a little bit, look, he's been waiting for his opportunity to show he belongs, show what he can do. This is his opportunity. The Jets are down two outside receivers. Denzel Mims is going to get one of those jobs. He's going to get the start. He's going to see a lot of playing time. Now he's got to make the most of it. Yeah, it's interesting you kind of mentioned a guy, Braxton Berrios, and I know we both um, both really like Berrios, and I think it's it's pretty impressive that he's, you know, he should be a Pro Bowl uh, returner this year. He's a guy who I think the Jets have a priority on bringing back. I think he is able to play every single position. Yeah. I think he's a good locker room guy. Obviously, it doesn't he's hurt. Not gonna he's, cost much either, he's yeah. not going to cost Little much cheap. either. It's it's not a bad thing having a dude that's uh, dating a supermodel and – you know, it's good for the, good for the Twitter profile. Um, but, you yeah, know, I'm on the same page, too. I want to get this one one last thing before you on the same thing. I know you've met you've talked about this on your pod. And I think and me and DJ have talked about this. I know you and DJ have talked about it. I've talked about it a lot of people. I'm of the opinion, if depending on where that Seahawks pick is or Jets pick, you know, you never know what could happen there, uh, who finishes ahead of who. I think that that Garrett Wilson uh williams you look at a lot of these different guys you know in college um I, unless you know they go pay Devontae adams which would be really cool um but you know the draft you are you the opinion as yeah. well that like they should be you know pretty pretty interested in receiver in round one or the top round two because i think as good as you know Corey davis might be um and he's very solid and you know crowder could walk or barris could walk or cole like they do have some holes in this receiver core although it's much better are you have the opinion that a receiver is a position of need still uh, you know, going to 22. Yeah. yeah uh, need, need. I don't, I don't know if I would say need, I would say want. like the, the jets are well aware of what they have in Corey Davis and Corey Davis is what they knew they were signing. I mean, I, I compare it a little bit to um, when they signed um, uh, Eric Decker in free agency. And then the next year they paired him with Brandon Marshall. When they signed Eric Decker, the jets had no grandiose ideas that they had just gotten this all pro, no doubt, number one, Julio Jones, Julio Jones type guy. They knew the player they got was a very, very good number two, that he was the Robin to somebody's Batman. And then, you know, over time they find their Batman, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, when the Jets went and signed Corey Davis and they gave him that contract, they had no grandiose ideas that he was going to develop into Julio Jones, that they had just signed their true X receiver. I mean, they know they are well aware the everyone in that organization from top to bottom management and coaching staff, they love Corey Davis. They love what Corey Davis brings to the team. They love how reliable he is. They love what he is for Zach Wilson, but they know that he is not a true X receiver. They know they want a true X receiver. Now, if the opportunity presents itself in this year's draft to go get that player, like Williams from Alabama or something like that, I think that they'll strongly consider it depending on who else is there. If Adams is in free agency and wants to come to the jets and, and doesn't want to just go follow Aaron Rodgers where he, wherever he goes, I think they will strongly consider that because they know they need, or they know that they want an X, but they have a receiving core. They believe they can win with as well, but in their perfect world, the ideal situation that they want to give Zach Wilson, it's Corey Davis outside an X receiver opposite him. And then Elijah Moore in the slot. That's the receiving trio that they want to give their young quarterback. It'd be uh it'd certainly be quite a trio of, you know, I, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about Denzel Mims a little bit. I think part of the reason Denzel Mims, by the way, for the staff was so important is like watching the success Peyton had with Demarius Thomas. Um, I know he was here um, in a bit in 2019, but they kind of, he kind of reminds me a bit of Demarius and not, yeah. you know, prime 95, 1,515 touchdown yeah. Demarius, but, uh, but younger one. I want to get in Sunday a little bit, obviously, you know, building off, you know, Zach's me building off probably his most complete, uh, that first half is the best, obviously, football he's played, um, you know, to date. The Saints are a good defense. I think they're a bit, <laughs> they're a much better defense, a much better team in the dome. Um, they've been on prime time a lot, yeah. and I've, 
I bring back the Demario Davis point all the time. I still think it's malpractice that the Jets let an all pro linebacker go develop him and then let him go twice. That's yeah. nuts. But um, what are you kind of expecting from Sunday? It's a weird game. It's just like the Saints are a team that traditionally has been really good, but I have a hard time believing that the Jets should not be able to compete against Taysom Hill and a Saints team in the cold. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, they got to stop the run. I, I think that's I mean, if, if the Saints can run the ball and Alvin Kamara gets going and Taysom Hill gets going when he's running the ball. I mean, it's, it's going to be the same damn story because the, it, we're going to be talking about the team facing an abundance of third and one, third and two, third and threes. The Saints are going to keep the ball. The Jets aren't going to have the ball. And then it's going to come down to a score fest. The Jets are the ones with the rookie quarterback. Eventually, Zach's going to make a mistake and the score is going to flip and, and things like that. You know, so, yeah, I would I would think this game should be kept close. I think the Saints defense is pretty good. I think the Saints defense could give the the Jets some issues. I know Demario is going to be fired up to come back, and as you said, I mean the, them letting him go. It obviously hindsight, it was pretty awful. Um, I think what the Jets were trying to do though was, or I know what Mike McCagan was trying to do in that situation was that he looked at, you know, four or five years of not so great or average linebacker play from Davis, then one ridiculously good year progressed to the mean the next season. So he let him go in free agency and brought in Avery Williams. And obviously I don't even, I don't even know if Avery Williams is, I think he signed to somebody's practice squad. He signed Denver's practice squad. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that was a, a big swing and a miss for a general manager that had quite a few swings and misses. Um, but I, I don't, I understood that at the time. It just, it, it obviously it didn't work out for the jets, but Look, for them to keep this one close, they're going to have to shut down the run. They're going to have to force Taysom Hill to beat him with the arm because if they let Taysom Hill run, if they let Kamara run, it doesn't matter if this is in the in a dome, you know, if it's in New Orleans, if it's at MetLife in East Rutherford, or if it's on the moon. I mean, it's, it's going to be the same story as what we've seen the last few weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be one of those games that I think I'm going to we're going to learn a lot pretty quickly, uh, you know, early on of what kind of Saints, what kind of Saints teams coming in there. Um, Kamara and Taysom Hill should be back. Um, I'm not really worried about the Taysom Hill thing. I want to get your kind of opinion on a one comment that kind of went crazy and I kind of had a fit about on Twitter. And um, there's people that understandably, I guess, that don't cover the game or didn't play that don't understand the difference in zone read and RPOs, um, which I yeah. I will give people a break if they're willing to ask questions. I think that's something that's super important in this business is, you know, like if you ask questions and learn, I think that's awesome. But there's a lot yep. of comments of like, Salah doesn't know what he's doing because the zone read and the RPO are the same thing. And this is why the Jets lost. Like, did that just get overblown? Because like, I just, I can't stress enough, like the RPO and zone read are not the same thing. And like, I just, it's so frustrating listening to people say that. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I would, I wouldn't read too much into that. I mean, I didn't see that on Twitter. They were saying Salah doesn't know what he's talking about because he doesn't know the difference between the two. I didn't actually see that on Twitter. It was, it was a, I'm not going to call the station out by name, but it was a very popular, uh, you know, radio show in New York that was basically saying pushing Salah multiple times on his ability to understand the difference and saying Gardner Minshew and the RPO um, isn't a runner when everyone that covers football understands that has nothing to do with it. And the Dolphins have yeah. the best RPO game. The, in Eagles, the Eagles, the, the Philadelphia Eagles ran, ran the RPO to a Super Bowl championship over the New England Patriots with Nick Foles behind there. I don't think there's a single more stationary quarterback in the NFL than him. 
I mean, there's a reason he's stationary, but that's obviously not neither here nor there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but and, and the other thing I was I was kind of curious about from the other Saints perspective is, um, you know, offensively, do you feel like the Jets are going to try? Like, obviously, they started out pretty, you know, the floor has been excellent, in my opinion. Um, you know, mostly all year. I think early on, he kind of went through a little bit of growing pains. Um, yeah. Do you think that, like, the trust for Zach that he has is, like, um, and Connor Rogers talked about this a lot of like, he almost overly trusts Zach where he puts him in like these really difficult situations, I think almost to test them. Do you think that he's going to keep continue to do so where it's like a good defense, Dennis Allen's a good coordinator and he's just kind of going to be like, you know, try to scale it back and make it a little bit more simple. Cause I think we've seen both game plans, um, from the jets this year when Mike white and goes guys like that, it felt like, you know, a pretty basic game plan. And then when Zach comes in there, even the Houston game where he didn't look great, obviously, um, it was a very, it seemed like much more complex. Yeah, I, I think every time Zach's, I don't think he's holding anything back at all. I, th I think there's probably been times where he's maybe tried to protect him a little bit. I think there was times early in the season where he actually had to put too much on his plate and given Zach too much freedom, which was when you started seeing Zach make some of the mistakes that he had made, whether it was um, throwing the ball a little ridiculously or putting the ball in harm's way and taking more chances than he should have. And, and maybe it got dialed back some, but I think as Zach, like as Zach starts to get to a point where he is ready to do more, they're going to give him more. But I, I don't think that's – but at the same time, I don't think anything's off the table. I mean, you saw him run the, the double pass, which actually – like the, the flea flicker double pass or whatever, the trick play. Uh, ended up going to a person. I think he threw it to Ryan Griffin by, like, the left – on the left side of the field. I think it went to Ryan Griffin, if I'm not mistaken. It yeah. should have gone to Denzel Mims. I was going to say, actually, he had Mims wide open. Oh, yeah, I was a touch that. Yeah, I mean, you know what's wild is that Mims' second-round pick receiver played a, a decent amount of games last year, a lot of games this year. He might – I mean – He's got to score a touchdown quicker. He's going to go his first two years without scoring, which is pretty unheard of for a second-round pick. But um, I don't think it's necessarily him being more aggressive. I, I don't know if it's necessarily him calling the game differently or taking more off his plate or adding more to his plate. I think it's just quarterback starting to grow and learn and offensive coordinators starting to grow and learn and the two of them learning how to work together because the best offensive coordinator quarterback duos, the best you know play-caller quarterback duos in the league, they're ones who think together and they think it, they, they challenge each other sometimes as they get older, but they really think together and they think as one. And I think we're, we're not at that point, obviously with LaFleur and Zach, but I think you're starting to see two guys just get comfortable with this game. And uh, cause remember it's, it's also LaFleur's first time calling plays as well. And you see an obviously success follow. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction or anything like that. Cause I, no, I'm so bad at it, I also don't even know. I also don't even know who I'm uh I'm going to pick. I was going to finish off with a couple, a uh, couple of fun questions here. Obviously been on the, been, you know, covering the jets for, you know, six, seven years now, I believe maybe longer. I could be off on that. Um, curious if you had one or two guys who you either had, you know, you felt like you had a great relationship with who were the most maybe entertaining people to cover. Um, obviously it's not been all sunshine and rainbows, unfortunately. Yeah. I know we talked about this a lot, but um, who are, is there one or two guys that stand out to you that were like, man, that was a great guy to cover. Like what a, what a good football player, a person. I think for me, sorry, I lost you. Like the, the joys of driving home from practice, I lost you a little bit there. But um, I think for me, the, uh, the, the one guy that, that was always just a great interview, a great talker, uh, I had a great relationship with him throughout his, his two years here was Austin Safarian Jenkins. I, I thought he was 
I thought he was great. I always enjoyed talking to him. He was always very colorful, colorful in the language that he used. I mean, Austin Severian Jenkins was uh, one of my favorites of, of guys to cover. Sheldon Richardson was another one who I thought was pretty good. Morris Claiborne was another one that I had a lot of fun talking to. Um, yeah, I would say those guys, those guys probably, those guys probably topped the list for me as, as some of the best to, uh, best to cover. Dan, you know, honestly, Darren Lee too. Like Darren Lee was there. I think Darren, you know, there, there were obviously, you know, problems that he dealt with with some of the staffs and, 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 you know, so off field stuff, but, uh, Darren Lee was another one that was a good talker that I always enjoyed catching up with in the, uh, in the locker room. Darren Lee has gotten some, uh, he has brought on some heat onto himself on Jets Twitter recently. Uh, it's been, yeah, uh, it's been, it's been interesting uh, that that little kind of 2013 to 2016 regime certainly isn't did not enjoy playing um, here. And I guess who can really blame them? Um, one thing that I know you there's two things, obviously, I know you're pretty big into with, you know, in terms of the pregame meals and the stadium stuff, oh, and the yeah. stadium food, where did that kind of start. And why is the Jets meal ranked pretty? I mean, it's not great on there, but it's ranked far higher than the Giants. Was there a big difference in the yeah. food they give out? Yeah, so uh, it actually started – so my career, a lot of people that, that start covering sports, I mean, you start in high school covering high school sports. So uh, I used to do play-by-play broadcasting for my college's radio station back in South Jersey uh, when I went to uh, Burlington County College, C88.9. And uh, one of the guys that I did color commentary, like he had been the sports director there. And when I started when – I, when I joined him as his color commentator, he told me that, you know, what we did at the halftime of every, of every game, of every high school game, was we would go down to the snack stand we would get a hot dog and then we'd eat it. And then we would go on air right after the break as the third quarter began. And we would rank that hot dog. We call it the hot dog report. And, and seriously, like some, some of these high schools grilled them. Some of them had like these ridiculous toppings and others didn't. Some were just boiled and soggy and gross. I mean, it was fun. So when I then left from doing college play-by-play to started like uh, reporting, like covering games uh, for newspapers, I just did the same thing. I kept doing the hot dog report. And, Eventually, when I started covering the NFL for the Star Ledger was when I was like, you know what? I don't want to stop doing this. Let's keep it going and, and let's just do press box rankings. And yeah, so I, I, every time I'm there, I try all the different foods and then I rank them. It's just, you know, something fun that I do to kind of keep keep alive what I used to do when I first started in this business, you know, way back when, when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, and yeah, so the, the Giants and Jets both have different, like they, they, uh, they have people within their building. Like there's somebody within the Jets building and some within the Giants building who picked the foods and, and the giants is usually pretty good. They're ranked very low because when we were there this year, they gave us like these cold, disgusting sandwiches, which is normally not the case. They were still in like pandemic rules when everyone else wasn't. So I ranked them pretty low. They'll come up, they'll come up higher next year. Uh, but yeah, historically the jets and giants MetLife stadium is not very good with food. It's usually very limited. It usually doesn't taste very good. It's not very entertaining or exotic and things like that. So, so usually you kind of, when you go to MetLife, you realize you're not getting the best of the best food. When you go to some of these places, I mean, I haven't been there yet, but I hear Dallas is literally like a four-star, five-star restaurant. Like it's like an actual restaurant. Uh, Tampa Bay was like that as well. I mean, you get some, you get to some of these press boxes and it's, it's pretty legit, uh, pretty legit spread, man. It's pretty great. Not going to lie. I don't know who, I don't know what I was listening to or who I was talking to. Someone was talking about, oh, it's the Ravens. Like they gave up these like exceptional crab cakes and people. Like, yeah, I people missed them yeah, I think it was yo, Ross. I think maybe it's Ross Tucker. It might have been Ross yes. Tucker was talking about it. And he yep. was like, "Dude, I some some girl was allergic to fish, so I got two the other day." And I was like, "Damn, I would, yep. <laughs> I would crush some of those." Um, oh. Last last two, quick two things here. I know you're a big video games guy, and yeah. um, how like how do you, is that like for you? Like, do you genuinely enjoy the video games? on more of it, or is it more like for me? It's like such it's a nice outlet to get out of like 
just like release from football and like be on Twitter 12 hours a day. And the second question, Madden obviously sucks now, but yeah. um, was there a Madden game for you that you were like, this is the best Madden game of all time. This is obviously a heated debate. People get, uh, people get into. Yeah. So yeah, for video games for you, man, I've just been, I've been playing them since I was a kid. So I love them and I, I love sports video games and I love, uh, I played like Call of Duty, like I was into Modern Warfare, and I got the new one, like when they remade Modern Warfare, and they brought in um, uh, Warzone. I was playing. Obviously, I started. I was playing Fortnite a ton when the, that was all the all the hype and that was all the rage. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely an outlet. It's definitely like an escape, and and it's also a good way for me, like to go back to you know with my friends from high school, and my friends from college, and we all get on. Like we've been doing. Uh, like one of my my best one of my uh, groomsmen, uh, one of my best friends from college. Like we're doing a Halo playthrough right now leading into the new one which just came out today which we're, you know, i'm really excited to play and you know i i got my first i'm 29 so i got my first halo when i was like nine years old you know, i think it's like the 20th anniversary of halo so i just think that's pretty cool to keep playing that game and then madden obviously has always been my baby you know that that's been i remember when i got my very first game console like madden was the first game that i opened and it was madden 2002 with cole pepper on the cover and I've gotten midnight release every single one of those Maddens every single year up until last year where I was like, I'm not, I'm not giving them any more money. Like, it's just, they need to, they need to fix that game. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's just, it's, I, I can go on a, a 45, 50 minute hour, two hour rant about what's wrong with Madden. And it just drives me absolutely bonkers. And it's, it's so frustrating that football is the greatest sport in the world, the biggest sport in the world. And the video game for it is arguably the worst video game franchise uh, in the business. I mean, it's completely unacceptable and, and just uh, makes me infuriated. But um, my favorite Maddens, I mean, you can go back to like, I know 2005, 2006 were good ones. But honestly, man, like my favorite Madden moments are when they came out with online franchise and getting a, a four or five team franchise league with my best friends from high school, my best friends from college, and taking that franchise like 10, 15 years and drafting guys. Like I remember there was a a Matthew Boatwright, which was like this defensive end that you could draft. who was just ridiculous. And I made him like a hall of fame player. And there was the year where you could draft like Tim Trebo and LaRon James and Madden, like that was the best. And just, I mean, like doing those and, and fighting over draft picks and making trades and trying to build into dynasties and relocating teams. I mean, that was just like the most, most fun for me. And, you know, Madden always had their Madden bullshit and the stuff that you're going to get mad over and angry over, but still having like those, online franchise memories like i'm sure like there are games in like 0405 that were better but my favorite madden memories were doing online franchise with my friends and and i'm hoping praying that like the outrage that that came around with the the fixed madden franchise last year and, and kind of helped them start to rededicate themselves to it I, I hope it comes to fruition and leads to a decent game over these next you know year or two because you know matt football is too good of a sport and franchise and building teams is too good of a concept to have like the shit that EA sports trots out year in and year out. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I'm like a, I'm the same way with Madden. Like I remember I got like a, like my fifth, I'm 27. So like my fifth, okay. uh, fifth birthday, like got like, you know, Madden 2000 with Eddie George on the cover, like yep. Yep. got a PlayStation one, like Keyshawn's my fair player growing up. He's on the jets or it was like the year he got traded obviously after, but like he was amazing. The game, the jets were really good. Like it was like the most like ideal situation of all time. And like now, two thousand two, three, or whatever, when they brought that arcade mode in, you could play like the, you know, you know, it popped up on Twitter the other day. I was like, wow, I missed this. But when they had NCAA football and you could link your Road to Glory guy, yes, and then, yeah, yeah, and, yes, and then yes, you could take yeah. and you could take him. You'd play all four years. You win the Heisman like twice as a running back, and then you get drafted, and then you'd like live yeah. in your own apartment. It was just like, it was fun, that and was like, I, Dude, I that was so that. fun. Oh my god. 
superstar mode, they called it, right? Wasn't it superstar yeah, mode? Yeah, superstar mode. And yeah, dude, like, I, used, it's I a, created a defensive it's... back, and I was drafted by the Ravens. And I, I dude, it's I like, this is the coolest I thing of all time. Oh yeah, I took my DB. I took that defensive back. That was pre. That was Xbox. Uh, I don't think it was the 360. I mean, it must have been, or maybe it was the three. It was either the regular Xbox or the Xbox 360. Whenever they first introduced superstar mode, and you would get like the shitty little loft, and then you get the nice yep. apartment. Eventually, you'd live into the mansion. I mean, I must have taken my DB like a corner. I took him like 10 years or something like that. And it was like, it was, I had so much for you. Free agency, you could sign big free. I mean, it was, it was fun. And now it's like just an afterthought. And I, man, there's so much potential. Like what, what makes me so angry is I look at like the show, like MLB, the show. And I see how like that's how, game. Yeah. How detailed and intricate that story, like that franchise mode is. We're like, I remember I, tried, I went to go start a franchise with the Mets and there was shit that you could do in that game that I didn't even understand like that, like that much detail put into the franchise mode for MLB, the show. And then you go to 2k and they're like my player mode of 2k is my player mode where the detailed storyline and, and the different you're buying this and you're buying that. I mean, all of these things that all of these 2k sports and, and MLB, like all of these things that all these other gaming systems and all these other game companies, game design companies have created in EA sports, just sitting on their cash cow. Like we know that all we can do, all we have to do is make two or three updates and we can trot this game out with a roster update and everyone on Madden Ultimate Team is going to be just filling our pockets and we're going to profit and no one's going to care. And that just uh, drives me freaking nuts, man. It drives right. me absolutely nuts. I'm hoping that it, it'll change because A, the outrage, and then B, they just lost the rights with FIFA, which, I mean, for like the FIFA video game, which is obviously like- Did they you really? Know, I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, it was, well, you know, we can get the whole corruption of uh, the video game. The UEFA yeah. is like the governing body. It's like the NFL, obviously, for soccer. And yeah. they're charging $3 billion a year for to use the name FIFA. And wow. EA Sports pulled out. And, you know, look, that's, you know, if you lose your biggest cash cow, like your second biggest cash cow, better, you know, figure it out. So, no, it's funny. It's like an infamous story. My family and my, and my brothers who are listening, like all my brothers play college football, but and but one of them like stayed home one summer like eighth grade or like seventh grade when that game came out and played superstar mode and got like fat and then like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like infamously like he grew after that so everyone like like was fine but like it's this whole thing was like he literally played so much ncaa in that and then it like we we're like all yeah. right dude we're taking it easy but um you know obviously if you guys are not following connor it's pretty easy to find him on twitter i think it's connor underscore j underscore hughes athletic um you know athletic does a lot of really good work i think you guys had some type of the i mean i subscribe to it but i believe if you want to you know you can hit that but you know there's a lot of good articles whether it's you know team like you know individual team related uh nfl league wide i think it's pretty much every sport like you know i get my Bayern munich my yankee stuff from there like there's a bunch of different stuff so you know make sure you're following connor can't wait podcast and obviously uh you know hopefully this thing will start to turn you can cover your franchise quarterback and uh, everyone can be happy yeah, that's that's the thing. That thing cracks me up, man. Is is everyone's like, oh, you hate the Jets, you hate the Jets. I'm like, like, I mean, the Jets being good is nothing but good for me. Like, it's good for business. I mean, that they're better. It means like people don't want to read about a team that sucks. Like, you got your diehards like you and and some other people like just really like the people that love this team diehards. They're gonna watch every minute of every game, whether they're winning fifty to nothing, they're losing losing fifty to nothing. I mean, they're gonna watch it, but. The general public, I mean, once they start sucking, they turn it off. You know, it's it's kind of how I honestly, it's how I follow the Mets. Like once the Mets start sucking, it's like I'm I'm not gonna watch this team and get angry. I'm just gonna go do something else that makes me happy, and I'm just gonna you know I'll, I'll tune off for a while and, and then I'll come back in. You know, very I'm very I'm a very bandwagon Mets fan when it comes to that. But 
those bandwagon fans are also the ones that drive it. That when the Jets are winning and they're winning games and they're competing for the playoffs and eventually competing for a Super Bowl, it means more people are reading, more people are listening, more people are happy, and there's more eyeballs on what you're doing. And, and that's just more notoriety and more fun. So no one wants the Jets to be good more than I do. It's just, you know, I'm kind of waiting, waiting for that to happen, to be honest with you. Yeah, no one on the Jets beat hates the Jets. Like, I know everybody on the Jets beat, and no one hates the Jets, I assure you. Yeah. Like, so can we, I don't know, we need to drop, like, Rich is like an incredibly nice guy and gets a you know hard day better. He's doing this as long as I've been alive. Like, Rich, like first, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he <laughs> I, it's whatever. I know people don't want to hear that and it's it's too uh, but like everyone's a human being, like there's some, you know to like if the Jets are in the middle is where like it's probably the it's the hardest to cover for anybody or any, you know, covering yeah. anything is being five and like at least now they have a quarterback that people can buy and see some people reading but like even my downloads are you know go down when the jets are you know from when the yep. offseason when people uh when people are bought in or they have to be really good or really awful like last year numbers were great because you know the, the jets sucked but like this you yeah. know you don't want to be that six and ten six and eleven team that's like the most oh, that was like yeah and when you were able to cover like 15 16 17 like what was that year they uh when they got darren late 20. Uh, 20, like that was like one of the 16, worst years like, yeah yeah it, it was the it year was after like fits right yeah yep yep and it was just like man this kind of is boring like this there's no one at the top of the draft they need a quarterback but they can't get one it was like yeah that was that was something I remember, it's it's always better to be one of the two extremes honestly is either really really bad or really really good but there's been so much really really bad that i keep saying eventually it's got to turn around and i genuinely believe it, it will i mean i i know He's getting a lot of criticism, and his 2020 draft has left much to be desired. Uh, but I think Joe Douglas is a quality GM. I think Robert Sala can be a good head coach. I think Mike LaFleur is going to be a really good offensive coordinator. It's just about now getting the players. Like, that's the big thing is, is getting the players. And, and they don't have them yet, but when they do, I, I think you'll see a team that's pretty good. Yeah, no, look, every Eagles fan I know says they want Joe Douglas back. So, oh, yeah. you know, that that's, you know, that should tell you, you know, everything you need to know. And um, at the end of the day, look, you got to, you got to, you got to, you know, kind of invest in, in something. I know, you know, as much as it gets he because Jets fans want to hear about rebuilding over and over again. This, this does feel like the first true rebuild where everyone's aligned at the hip and they've got a lot of the different pieces and everyone's kind of bought into the same thing. So, you know, we'll obviously see what happens. Again, make sure you guys are listening to, you know, Connor's pod, um, you know, following on The Athletic and Twitter as well. And, um, you know, next time next time we have you on in the offseason or something like that, hopefully we'll have some more positive things to, uh, you know, to talk about and, you know, look forward to, you know, some, uh, some W's. Yeah, 100%, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks again, Connor. The Walla Walla Music Fest returns to the Walla Walla Fairgrounds May 31st of June 1st featuring an incredible music lineup with Ben and Noel Haggard, Shane Prophet, Vegas McGraw, Colorblind, and Todd Hoffman. And don't miss the Crash Fest Demo Derby and the Rat Rod, Hot Rod, and Motorcycle Show. Grab your friends and family some blankets and relax on the lawn. Games, camping, food trucks, beer, and wine. Tickets are on sale now at WallaWallaFest.com. Veterans are free with military ID. It's all at the Walla Walla Music and Crash Fest May 31st through June 1st at the Walla Walla Fairgrounds grounds.